0: Amen. Yeah. Yeah. as your personal Savior when you were born again. You remember the time that you had fallen away, perhaps? You had sinned? The devil tried to convince you there was no sense in asking for forgiveness. And yet you went to the Lord and you confessed your sin and he was faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'm so thankful that there's a Savior for people like us who are sinners. The only difference between people that are going to heaven and people that are dying and going to hell is one's been saved by the grace of God, and one needs to be saved, and has yet to be saved. I'm so thankful that there is a Savior no matter what you've done. He's there for you. And I want to look here today in Luke chapter 15. We've already read this passage of Scripture, but I want us to open back up there. If you've closed your Bible, go ahead and open it up again. We'll be referring to several of these verses once again. And the title of this message today is From Pigpen to the Palace. From Pigpen to the Palace. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Lord, I thank you so much for being there for us. Never leaving us, never forsaking us. Desiring more to forgive us than we desire ourselves. Desiring to love us more than we can comprehend. Lord, wanting to light our way. Wanting to guide us by your word. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us. I pray, Lord, that you would, right this moment and this next few moments, Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we'd make right choices, good decisions that would bring honor and glory to you, that would give us a life, that would be blessed. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today. Lord, I pray for those, perhaps, today that do not know they're on their way to heaven. Lord, I pray they'd come to you today. Lord, I pray for Christians today, perhaps, who have backslidden, they're not where they should be. Lord, I pray there'd be repentance today. You're right there waiting, tenderly waiting and calling. Lord, I pray that we'd hear your voice. Lord, speak to us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This batch of scripture this morning is a very well known parable, the parable of the prodigal son. I've read it, learned about it my entire life. I'm sure many of you have. It's a very important. It's connected with the, the lost but found parables that Jesus Christ is, is speaking about here. It's an interesting parable. And to understand the the message of the parable, which, by the way, this message is very relevant for the church today. It's been relevant for the church of all days, but especially for today, for us. This is not just a, a lesson to be learned about a person getting saved, even though that's there. But there's a lot here for all of us here today. And the lesson that we see here, you have to remember the context of what's going on. And when Jesus begins to give these parables of lost and found, He's talking to the Pharisees, the scribes, those that were there that were questioning Him. And they were complaining. What were they complaining about? They weren't complaining because he was preaching too long. (laughs) They weren't complaining about the fact that uh, at this moment, uh, the fact that he said that he was Jesus, the Messiah. No, at this point in time, they were complaining. Now, they would do that complaining. There's no doubt about that. But at this point in time, what they're complaining about is the fact that he's spending too much time with sinners. He's spending too much time with the drunks. Spending too much time with the publicans, the tax collectors. And they're wondering, why are you spending all the time with them? And they were judging Jesus Christ. Now, you know, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Can you imagine being the judge of Jesus Christ? Well, oh. I talk about putting yourself in a place that you don't belong. There it is right there. Here they are judging him because there are these religious people. They got it all together. They're following all the traditions that man has. And they are telling Jesus, no, you shouldn't be spending so much time with those reprobates. It's interesting, if you go back and look at the inter- interactions between Jesus and the, these Pharisees and how he responded to them, a very quick answer as to why he spent time with sinners, drunkards, tax collectors, was what he said in Luke 5:31, that they, are whole, uh, they that are whole are not in need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And if you look at what he's saying here in the the whole context of these parables, he's using the picture of the the children of Israel and how they, they think that they're all right. These Pharisees think that they're something that is of value. They're doing all these religious things. And Jesus was trying to help them to see that they needed a Savior too. And yet they couldn't even see their need. They thought that they were good. They were religious. They were doing all these things. And Jesus Christ, when He came, He was rejected by the religious He was rejected by that man-made religion that the Pharisees were involved in. And yet He came and sinners understood they needed a Savior. They understood that they needed help in their life. And Jesus, you see that He worked with them. By the way, let me just say this. The fact that Jesus spent time with them does not mean that Jesus condoned their behavior. does not mean that Jesus joined in with their sin. It doesn't mean that Jesus let them stay the same. Once He touched and healed them and he, He saved them, He said, go and sin no more. We need to understand that concept. There's a whole lot of things that are going on in the world today that talk about reaching people. There's even movies that are out right now talking about reaching people. And I'm all for reaching people. And I think there's some things that can be learned about the whole Jesus movement that happened in the 70s. One of the things I think that can be learned was they were smiling while they were following Jesus. That struck me. They were enjoying themselves while they were following Jesus. But they understood they needed Jesus. And I will say there's been some things that uh, uh, people that went down that road, some of them, they saw that they could follow Jesus and stay the same. That's not what happens when you follow Jesus, folks. There's a difference that takes place in your life. There's some that got saved through that whole movement, and God changed their life. They were absolutely changed from the inside out. God made them new. But I'm just saying that today there's been a lot of, I mean, through my life I should say, there's been a lot of pressure to say, well, we ought to go in where the sinners are at. The problem is oftentimes when Christians do that, they go and they, they begin to act just like the lost people. That's not what God wants us to do. We ought to reach them. Now that's just a side note. The whole concept of what's going on there and and this day when Jesus said this parable is in the context of the the questioning and the lost and found talking about Israel and talking about now um, uh, that that they were valuable and Christ was coming to them. They were being rejected though. Uh, Christ was being rejected by and large by his own people. He came unto his own and his own received him not. And so the, the... the message that we look here, there's, there's kind of a deeper message, but the message specifically now, and I want to hone in on that, and the clear message in this parable of the prodigal son is this, is that the Lord came to save sinners. I'm thankful for that today. Because like I said earlier, every one of us, we're sinners. I'm thankful the Lord came to save Sinners. While many today are doing everything they can to turn the church into a social club, to entertain all ages, we must never forget the purpose of the church is twofold. It is there to be the edification of the saints. That means to edify, to build one another up, to encourage one another. That's through encouraging each other as we serve the Lord and use our spiritual gifts. That has to do with us teaching and preaching. That has to do with us learning and growing. That has to do with us when we come together and even sing songs of praise of the Lord that's edifying one another, encouraging one another to worship the Lord. No doubt about that. But all of those things are in preparation for the second reason why the church exists. What is the main reason why we're still here on this earth? To fulfill the Great Commission. That's to go out and to win the lost. A minute ago we said, amen, that the main reason for this parable is that the Lord came to save sinners. But why are we still here? That the Lord would now use us to see sinners get saved. We have to grasp that concept. And I praise the Lord for this this parable because there's so many parallels we see here between God, our Heavenly Father, and the the, the Father here in the story, and the Son being where we were or perhaps where you're at, and how that God loves us and God with open arms is is wanting for us to come to Him. And so I want to focus in on this this morning. And as we look at this, this story of from the pig pen to the palace, we see the prodigal son, we see the loving father, the two main characters here, And the first thing I want you to notice is the rebellion of his son. He was rebellious. What kind of rebellion uh, was it? It was a rebellion, first of all, uh, against authority. He was rebelling against authority. The prodigal son, he wanted to leave his father's house for several reasons, but mostly, I believe, one of the primary reasons was the fact that he was rebelling against the authority of his father. He did not want to follow his father. He didn't want to live under his father's guidelines. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. You know, this is the same reason that a lot of children leave home today. They want to live their life where nobody's telling them what to do. Isn't that funny how young people, they want to live, get out of the home so they can go live where nobody tells them what to do. I'm going to go join the Marines so nobody will tell me what to do. (laughs) What? What? I'm going to go work that job. I'm going to work, man, all those hours. I don't want nobody telling me what to do. I'm going to work so many hours I can get my own place so I don't have to stay at home or somebody's going to tell me what to do. Man, they go to work, they find out someone's going to tell them what to do there. But here we see there's a young man. He wants to get out of the authority, out from the authority of his father. And like I said, many are wanting to do the same thing. And you look at it now. Let's think about this for a moment. The prodigal son's father's house provided three things for the son. First of all, it provided parental discipline. Secondly, it provided protection. Thirdly, it provided provision. All, right? all those things were built in. That's the way God intended for it to be, by the way. That's the family unit. There was parental discipline. There was protection. There was provision. You know, when a young person leaves home, they leave the discipline. But you know what? It's not just the discipline that they're leaving. They are leaving the protection of that home. They are leaving the provision of that home. And rebelling against authority is a bad way to start out as a young person, by the way. You know, I truly believe, listen, that there are some people that are young people. They begin down that road and they rebel against the authority that God has placed in their life. They want to get out of the home. They want to do what they want to do. And they make really bad choices in doing so. And they're starting out their adult life in in a really bad place of rebellion. And listen, many times it takes years for them to get over those terrible mistakes they made as a young person. Sometimes people never get over it. I know there are people here today that could look back at their their teenage years when they rebelled against the authority in their life and they saw what it did in their life and they're still reaping the benefits, or not the benefits, they're reaping the the result of those choices they made as a teenager. Anybody here ever had that happen in their life where because of rebellion you had things that held on? There were decisions that you made, there were choices that you did, and you're still struggling with it. The Bible teaches that once a young person gets married, they should be willing to leave mom and dad. They're to leave and cleave. We know the concept. Once they've been married, they're to leave and to cleave. They're to move on. But let me say this, until that time comes, you're not to just leave the house because of rebellion. You're not supposed to just get away because you want to live as you want to live. That's not the reason why you do it. Listen, you're supposed to stay under the authority of that God has placed in your life. Now, when I say that, I know that young people get older. I'm not talking about snowflakes living in the basement right now. In other words, you're not supposed to live in your mom and dad's house the rest of your life. But if your reason for moving out of mom and dad, when I turn 18, I'm moving out. If your reason is rebellion, you've got a problem here. You're rebelling against the authority that God has placed in your life. And when you do that, you're going to get out from under the protection as well as the provision that God has for you. It's interesting, I, I said I'm going to be short, sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. You know, when you have a wedding ceremony and you have the, the dad walk down the aisle with the, with the, the daughter in the arm of, and the whole ceremony of, usually they're standing right about there, I've been there, I've been both there and I've been here, right? And you're standing down there and the, the person up here says, who gives this, man, this woman to be married to this man? And what is the response the parents say, or the, the dad will say? Um, my wife and I. There's a giving of, there's a transfer of authority that's taking place at that moment. Now, I know that goes against what women's lib stuff says. I know it goes against all of that. But you are transferring the authority of the God placed authority in that person's life to now the husband. That means now he's to provide, that means now he's to protect. And now he is to be the person that is to be the, the leader in the home. I'm not talking about dictator here. The spiritual leader within the home. There's a transition that takes place. See, we do things like that. People don't even know what those things mean anymore. It's a transfer of authority. Now, I know young men, you might get to the place where you move and you take a job. Listen, don't move, though, out of rebellion. Don't get out of the house out of rebellion. Do it according to what God's will is. Be in that right relationship with your parents. But people don't like authority, do they? Huh. Don't like it. People enjoy bucking the system. It reminds me of a story I heard about a young man. His name was Charlie. He was a teenager. Uh, he was probably about 17 years old. He went out on a nice spring morning, and it was a beautiful day, and he was going to go fishing. And he had his rod with him, and he was walking down the, the dirt road next to the woods, and the lake was a little bit further down. And as he got there, all of a sudden, the warrant, uh, the um, not warrant officer, what's the word? The game warden jumps out he says oh hey let me see your uh, fishing license he says well i'm just carrying my my fishing pole that do, do i have to have a fishing license just to carry the pole i'm not fishing he says well okay i guess you have a point there and so he lets him go on so charlie continues to walk and the warden waits for a few minutes and then he kind of hides in the woods and he's following he's tracking him charlie goes up this great big hill the warrant officer's going up this hill he's a little older it's harder to get up that hill and then he goes down the hill, he's getting closer to the lake, and there's some barbed wire, and Charlie, he, he climbs underneath that barbed wire and gets his pole over there, and uh, yeah, about 20 yards behind, there's the warrant officer. He's a little bit heavier, and it was harder to get underneath that barbed wire. And he does, he manages to get over there. And, and then Charlie goes over, and he, he gets his pole, he puts a worm on it, and throws it in the lake. Right about then, the warrant officer, uh, the, the not the warrant officer, the game warden, he jumps out from behind the bushes. Hey, I caught you, Charlie. Charlie, without blinking or saying anything at all, he says this. Okay, then now you can see my license. And he hands it to him. What's the point? The point is there are people that don't like authority. And the sad truth is that there's times that parents don't like the authority in their life. And I can tell you this, you reap what you sow. You all hear what I'm talking about today? God puts authority in our life and we buck that authority. This is just a side note, by the way. As parents we need to be very careful that we sub- we submit ourselves to the authorities that God has placed in our life as well. Always badmouth an authority, don't be surprised when when your children are going to badmouth your authority. And here we see there's a lot of people that don't want authority. But, you know, here's the thing. When when we're teaching young people, understand they need to respect authority. And if they're not willing to respect the authority in their life, we need to understand that that's going to affect them the rest of their life. Because, listen, you can't be a productive citizen without respecting authority. You can't be what you should be as an employee without respecting authority. You can't be a good church member without respecting authority. You can't be a good soldier without respecting authority. You can't be a good husband or wife without... respecting authority. You can't be a good son or a good daughter without respecting authority. Many don't like authority. You know what's down deep inside that old flesh? Doesn't like authority, does it? That rebellion, down deep in our hearts, we don't don't like authority. We don't want to follow the authority. And we want to challenge those that are over us. We need to be very careful that we don't do that. And so the prodigal son... He was that way. He was challenging authority. He had no respect for authority. He wanted to leave home because his dad had too many rules for him to follow. And he rebelled against authority, but also he rebelled against circumstances. What are the circumstances? He knew that as long as he was living there in his father's house, he had to comply to the standards of his father. He had to follow the rules. You know, by the way, this is how it should be. There ought to be rules within the home. There ought to be standards that we are living by within the home. Good parents have standards for a child to live by. Good parents must have standards. You know, they, ought be, they ought to be established early in life. Children ought to know from a very young age what they're to do and what they're not to do. You ought to be teaching them and showing them. You show me a home that does not have such standards for the children, and I'll show you a home where the children are so confused. They're like a termite in a yo-yo. They're so confused. They don't know what's up or down. They don't know which which way they're going. You you want to show me a home like that, I'll show you a miserable child too that doesn't have any guidelines. They don't have any peace. They don't have any comfort. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And if parents do not have the courage to set the standards, the children will. Children will set the standards. Standards. What is that? A guide that keeps you from breaking God's law. Standards—what they're supposed to do, what they're not to do—and when children set the standards, and the parents live a life where they are completely confused, life is horrible. And so we need, we need to set standards. Today, what do we see? Unfortunately, we see parents that are spineless. We see parents today that, that they they don't know what to do if Johnny's throwing a little fit. I mean, they sit there. You ought to see. I mean, you walk into Walmart and you see Johnny having a fit, and parents don't know what to do. Now, some of us, we grew up with parents knew what to do when we were throwing a fit. And I can tell you by the time they got through with us, we knew what to do as well. Amen to that. Johnny needs to know what to do. And parents do it as well. They had to show him what they're supposed to do. And yet we have parents today that have lost control of their children, and children are setting standards. They're taking the leadership in the home. You want to talk about a mess. A child has no business being in the leadership role in that home. Child has no business. They're not ready for that yet. There's a reason why they're under your protection. There's a reason why God gave them to you. He's wanting for you. They're a gift from God, but God's wanting for you to protect them and to teach them and train them. Train up a child the way they should go when they're old. They'll not depart from it is what the Bible says. We're supposed to be training them. And yet there's some parents today, they say, well, I don't like my child drinking beer, but I'd rather them stay here at home and drink instead of going out and getting drunk, so I go ahead and let them drink here. Or another one will say, well, you know, my son, he likes this girl, and I really don't want them going out, you know, and having, you know, sex. Uh, and so I let them stay in the home. I let them come here and, and let them, you know, spend time in, in Johnny's room alone. What? Because I'd rather them stay here alone than have them be out there. At least I know they're in the house and they're safe. I'll tell you what, dumb parents like that will soon be dumb grandparents. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Some might say this, though. Preacher, if you set up standards that some young people are going to get upset by, just like the prodigal son, they're going to rebel and leave home. Yep. Yep, they might. Mm-hmm, it's true. Some young people, they might have the best parents in the world, but they're bent on evil, and there's not going to be anything that you're going to do to stop them from doing that. They're going to have to make their own choice. Now, by the way, we ought to be doing what we should do and set the standards. But I can tell you this, you're not going to lose that child because you set standards. You're going to lose that child because you don't set standards. You want to ruin, you want to destroy that kid's life? Don't set any standards. Let them live however they want to live and do what they want to do and find out how miserable they're going to be. They're not going to know how to act when they get out of your house. Try to find a job. Well, they have no respect for authority. You need to set standards for them. Have standards. So we see the rebellion of his son. Then we see the recklessness of his son. He could have had a much wonderful life. He'd stayed where he's at. Talk about reckless. I mean, he blew every opportunity that was put before him. He was reckless. I think of a quote by Thomas Edison. He said this. He says, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overhauls, overalls and looks like work. Most people miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. And the reason that many take the road to sin is because it is the path of least resistance. And the prodigal son, he was looking for the easy way to success and happiness. And so we see here that he went away. He went away. Notice that he didn't just go down the street and get an apartment and stay close to home. No, he went into a far country. Look there at verse number 13. Notice what it says. Not many days after the young younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Far country. He wanted to go where nobody knew him. He wanted to do what he could whatever he wanted to do. Now I want to stop for just one second and say something real quick here. Christians be very careful when you're in an area where people don't know you. Be very careful. I've known some people that went out and were places like that, people I knew, people that I love, people I never thought would do things, that did things that they regretted, opened up a whole can of worms because of something they did because they thought nobody was watching, nobody would know. Yeah, somebody knows. God knows. And not only that, you're going to know the rest of your life that you did that standards that were set in your life. You get away from home for just a little while and you go out and do things you never would have done if somebody was around here watching. That's exactly what he wanted though. He wanted to get away. He didn't want to be identified with his father, that man, that wonderful man the community perhaps. He wanted to get away from anybody telling him what he's going to do. He went away. He got to a far country. And when he did, he went astray. Look at verse 13 once again, and it says there wasted his substance with riotous living. Riotous living. It was great fun while it lasted, you might say. Here he is. I mean, hey, it looks good. Sin is pleasurable for a season. He's got all these new friends. I mean, there were probably a bunch of pretty girls that were hanging out around him. The, the, the wine was flowing. The food was plenteous. Things were going well. All the people thought he was the best guy he's ever been. He was popular. That's all he wanted all along was this. Now he's having fun. He's having a great time. But in verse 13, it says that it was riotous living. Riotous living. You know, riotous living is similar to people we see in the streets rioting. You think about it. We've seen a lot of that in the past couple of years. Their behavior is out of control. Completely out of control. Here, they're, 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 they're doing things that don't respect anybody, don't respect themselves. Out of control. Here's exactly what's going on with this prodigal son. Here he is. But you know what? He's in for a sudden shock. It was something he didn't expect that would happen. And it happened so soon. Two things happened. Number one, his money ran out. You know what? Sin is expensive. Sin will cost you more than you ever thought possible. thought he had all that money. Man, it was gone quick. All that righteous living, it's gone. Number one. Number two, a mighty famine arose in that land. All that he had before... I mean, it, it, that he had, and, and now he is, he is starving. Starving. Look at verse number 14. Notice what it says. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in, what's the next word? Want. Want. Here's a young man that probably didn't understand the meaning of want. Here's a young man that grew up inside a home where his dad took care of things. His dad took care of the food, his dad took care of the protection, the provisions, everything. Dad was there, dad was protecting him. Here's a man that didn't know what it meant to have want. Now he's in this far land, and now he spent all that money, and now there's a famine, and he is, the first time in his life, perhaps he's beginning to starve. He's reckless. And now his life has soured on him. We see the rebellion of the son. We see the recklessness of the son. And now we see the realization of the son. The realization. You see, really, we're coming to a turning point here in this story. This was possibly the most important event that took place in this young man's life. You know, sometimes before a person can be picked up, they first must be taken down. Notice, you think about the father of this young man. This father was a wealthy man. All right, we're picturing it. Here he is in a far country. He's not under the protection provision of his father. He's now on his own out here. He spent his money, righteous living. He now is in a famine. He has nothing. His father is a wealthy man. His father loved his son. You know that his father would not anything, wouldn't want anything to hurt his son. He would not want his son to go lacking for anything. But do you realize sometimes we have to use tough love to help those that we do love? You know, sometimes the best thing that we can do for our child or our children is to do nothing. Sometimes that's the best thing we can do. Because if you bail them out every time a problem comes up, they're going to keep getting into the same kind of problem. If every time they get in problem with the law and, and you're there to pay that bail or you're bailing them out for whatever it is at school or you're bailing them out for whatever it is and you're, you're helping them, really, No, not at all, you're not helping them at all. You are enabling them. You are causing them to continue down the same direction they're going. In reality, you're hurting them. The Father in this parable is a picture of God the Father as well. And this Father knows this prodigal son cannot get any help until he comes to his senses. He also knew that part of the consequences of rebelling against righteousness are tough times. You want to rebel against God? You want to rebel against the authority that God has put in your life? You're going to go through some tough times. It's going to be tough. The consequences of rebellion are great and many. You see, you're never going to get through all that. You're never going to get to the place of being uh, uh, brought back into the right relationship as you should until you come to your senses. You see, the father had the resources to rescue him from the tough times. you think the father knew there was a a famine going on? I believe he did. When your kids move away, do you know where they're at? Do you know what they're doing? Are you interested in knowing and and wanting them to be okay? The type of famine we're talking about here, I I believe the father knew. Now, obviously, this is a parable, but I'm just putting it in human perspective. I believe that dad knew and he had the wherewithal to be able to help that son, but he could not go and bail him out yet until the son came to his senses. He had to let him come to his senses. You see, if that son never felt the pain of sin, he would never come to his senses. So what brought this young man to his senses? The money ran out, number one. You know what number two was? He found out he had to get a job. Yeah. Hey, don't give everything to your kids. They ought to be working for what they have. You understand what I'm saying by that? It doesn't mean you make them. I, listen, my kids don't have to, to, to mow the lawn before I'll feed them. That's a good idea. <laughs> Alyssa's like, no, you guys are probably like, yeah, that's what you're doing. Look at her. I mean, that girl. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. But You know, it's, there's nothing wrong with kids having to earn their own way through some things. You know what I'm talking about? I remember when I was in high school, you know, I wanted that class ring. Man, I wanted that class ring. I didn't even ask my mom and dad to buy it. You know what I knew? I knew they weren't going to buy it for me. I went out and worked a job. I raised my own money, and I bought that class ring. Man, I wanted that coat with the letter right on there. You know, maybe they still do that today in high school? They got the letters and all that stuff? That's cool stuff, man. I don't know where that coat's at today, but, man, I, it's probably a good thing. I'd be like, mm. Oh my. I had to raise my own money. You know, those leather arms and you know the big letter there, and you know, I had a little band symbol and different sports and stuff like that. I didn't ask my mom to buy that stuff for me. I had to earn my money to do that. Now you can do what you want to do, but don't give your kids everything. Kids ought to learn to work. This dad had the wherewithal to be able to bail this son out. He could have gone and paid for it, but he couldn't do it yet. He had to come to his senses. Look at verse number 15. Notice he resorted to unclean work. The job he got. Look at verse 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed, what's the next word? Swine. Swine. Let me give you some advice. Young people, don't ever call a girl a swine. Don't do it. Sometimes I give advice because I know it's biblical truth. Sometimes it's because of experienced truth. I was in, I think, eighth grade. There was this girl, and her, her dad was the coach of the bas- basketball team. And they, they were like the big people of the school, you know, they were just the popular people. And this girl, she just thought she could talk to anybody the way she wanted to. Well, she did. She talked to me. <laughs> she, she made fun of me. She, she, I mean, she belittled me. She said all kinds of things to me. One day I came in, she was doing this to me, and I finally said to her, I said, You're a swine. She didn't even respond. I thought I was going to get a black eye or something. But she didn't respond until the next day. She came into class. She came walking up to me. She says, my mom told me what a swine is. Don't you ever call me a swine again. (laughs) I couldn't help but laugh. I'm sorry. It's not a swine. It's a swine, and that means pig, all right, just so we understand the story. But, you know, here he is. He gets a job, and he's going to feed the swine. You know, some folks have learned some amazing lessons in some of the places sin has carried them. And it's unfortunate. But I'll tell you what, some people, it requires them going into the jail cell before they learn some lesson. There are some people that have learned those lessons in the divorce court. There are some people that have learned those lessons in a hospital bed. There are some people who learned those lessons when a catastrophe struck. The prodigal son, he learned his lesson when he landed in a hog pen. It was there, the Bible says, that he came to himself. Can you picture it? A a, a boy that grew up with having everything, had all those things, and now there he is. He's sitting there in a pig's pen. Nasty smell. It was there the Bible says that he came to himself. He saw his sad and filthy state that he was in. This is how his thoughts are recorded in Scripture. Let's look what he says here now. Look at verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now he's thinking different, isn't he? Thinking different than what he was before he left home. Notice that once he came to his senses, first of all, it's the first time ever he saw what he had done to himself. What he had done to himself. I mean, he concluded that his father's servants were better off than he was. He came to the conclusion that he had sinned against his earthly father and his heavenly father. And thirdly, he had squandered his inheritance in wickedness. He realized that now he could only get the lowest of jobs. He's feeding pigs. He resorted to unclean work. But also we see that he recognized his need. He recognized his need. Here he is in that pig's pen. Where's all his friends? Where are they all at Now? All those people that made him feel popular, all those people that said they were his friends, all those people, as soon as the money ran out, they're gone. Where are they at? He's right there, and he's all by himself with the pigs. Nobody to share the burden. Nobody to help him in that state. He's all alone. You know, when... One is rich and prosperous. There's no shortage of folks. When things are tough, we find out who our true friends are. Here he was, he's desperate, he's alone, he's starving. He's so unhappy. And it says, no man gave unto him. No man gave unto him he's literally come to the place where he's eating the slop the pigs were eating. You ever seen that? Some of you have fed pigs. I've never fed a pig myself, but I've seen what they feed them. And I've seen, I've watched things of what they feed them in different parts of the world. And the kind of stuff that they feed pigs is disgusting. There he is. He's desiring it because he's so hungry. He's eating. Just to stay alive, he's eating the the pig He recognized his need. And then thirdly, he remembered his father's house. Look at verse 17 again. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? I perish with hunger. Notice he didn't have food to eat. Notice no one would help him. But also notice he remembered his father had plenty. His father had enough. It is truly a wonderful thing to be aware of the abundance of God and to know that there is sufficient supply to meet all our need. And coming to this realization, he came to the conclusion that he was going to do something about his situation. He wasn't going to just sit there, wallowing in that pig garbage. He wasn't just going to sit there. He's going to do something about it. And so here we see the, <clears throat> the resolution the resolution now before I jump into that let me just say this you can come aware become aware of your situation in your life a person can come to the knowledge of knowing that they're a sinner and still die and go to a Christless eternity a person can come to church every single week and sit inside these chairs sit right there and yet come to a place in their life of never trusting in Christ as their Savior and go to a Christless eternity Realizing they're a sinner. Realizing Jesus Christ died for them, but never coming to the place of acting on that. Coming to your senses means that there are going to be some things that you must do. You must do. Look at, first of all, his determination. Look at verse 18 again. He says, I will arise and go to my Father. I'm not going to stay here. I'm getting up. Nothing here for me. I'm going to my Father. Listen, change does not occur until there is a determination to change, a decision to make a difference. People do not change by accident. There must first be a decision made, and then change follows. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about cleaning yourself all up before you get saved. I'm talking about realizing where you're at in the dirty condition that you're in and desiring a change and going to the Father that can make the change. Making decision to go. Being determined. We see his determination. I will arise and go to my Father. Notice his declaration. He says in verse 18, the second part, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, is what he's going to say. He realized it. There was no excuse given. Just a declaration of guilt. I have sinned. I mean, he could have easily said, Dad, it's because of the way you raised me. You pushed me out of the home. It's because you were so hard. He didn't say that. He came to his senses. He realized what he had was so good. And now he sees where he's at and what he has done. He says, I have sinned against heaven and against thee. You know, he doesn't blame society either. Oh, a lot of people are doing that today. My upbringing, my, kid, my parents. Oh, it's society. It's because of what the world is doing. It's why I'm where I'm at. You know, sometimes the hardest thing in this world to say is, I have sinned. Taking ownership of what you've done. I have sinned. That was his declaration. I have sinned. Then look at, if you would, his desire. Look at verse 19. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be your son. Can I be your hired servant? You see, he had found out that, that being a servant of his father was better. Better than doing it his way. Better than living out in that far country. Better than living out in that situation. Being a, a, a servant in his father's house was far better than the pleasures of this world. Finally, in this amazing story, I want you to notice there, if you would, in verse number 20, the reception of the son. The reception. And he arose and came to his father. But he, when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I want you to picture that with me. You know, I could imagine that ever since the son had left the father, every time he would come out and be on his way, perhaps somewhere, he'd be looking down the road, looking for his son to come back. Every time, every time he, he would be thinking about it, he'd see some traveler coming down the road. Is that him? Is that my son? As he got a little bit closer, he no, no, it's not him. Brokenhearted. His son is gone. Wondering what his son's going through, hearing about the famine. Can you imagine the, the heartache of a parent going through that? Wondering if his son is alive or dead. Desiring his son would come home. Watching and waiting. And there he is. What a beautiful picture of the sinner. Coming to God through Christ. The open arms of God. Welcoming him. Saying welcome. Welcome I love you. I love you. How excited this loving father must have been. I would have been excited. Some of you have been down that road. Perhaps you're on that road right now. And your son or daughter is wayward. I thought of them coming home. I thought of them coming back to Christ. Oh you long for that. And oh, how our Heavenly Father longs for it with many of His children. As He looks and He sees the condition that many of His children are in, that have rebelled against the authority of God, have gotten out of God's house, have decided to do it their way, have gotten down the road of of where sin brings you and found out perhaps that sin is not what they thought it would be, that it has a high cost to pay. Oh, that people would come to themselves today. Oh, that people, as they're on their back, that they would look up. When they're down, that they would look up. That they would see that there's God. He's there waiting right now. He's never gone anywhere. He's where He's always been. He's there with loving arms, hoping and praying that you'll come home to Him. Desiring you to come home. He loves you. You're the Father. He's rejoicing. Rejoicing. Not just the Father, though. We see the servants as well. They're rejoicing. Sons come home. What news! What excitement! You know, even the angels in heaven rejoice when someone gets saved. Chapter 15, verse 10. same chapter back back at verse 10. It says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. So here it is today. Where are you at? How you live in your life? You talked about the protection. Talked about the provision. Being in the Father's house. Yes, having to follow the guidelines and the rules and the protection that comes from it and the provisions that come from it. There are many Christians today that don't want to follow what God says to do. They want the blessings, they want the protection. But they don't want to obey what God says to do. They want to go out and live that life however they want. They want to feed the flesh. They want to do the things of the flesh. And then when they have problems come, they want God to bail them out. What's so sad today is there's people that are down in that pig's pen. They stay there. Stay there. They don't know why. Why is my marriage so messed up? Why, why are my kids so bad? What's, what's going on? Why does my life seem like it goes from one tragedy to the next? When the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth, the Bible says. Is it possible that God is allowing you to go through those things because He's trying to get your attention? That you'll come to yourself? Hey, listen, being a servant of God is so much better than being away from God. But I'll tell you what; it gets better than that, folks. If you're here today, you've never trusted in Christ, your Savior. You can come to Him today, and He's there with open arms, and He will forgive you of your sin. He has paid your sin debt. He wants for you to be His son, His daughter. He doesn't want you just to be His servant. He wants you to be His family. He loves you. Have you trusted in Him today? You're born again Christian. You're wayward. You're away from God. Have you found out yet that it doesn't pay? Have you found out yet, young person? You've got rebellion in your heart. You say, "Well, it's my mom, it's my dad, it's their fault." No, that rebellion in your heart is your fault. It is your choice. You are making a decision whether you'll rebel or not. And by you saying it's mom and dad's fault, you are by an extension you are saying it's God's fault. That rebellion in your heart today, listen, you need to come to yourself and repent before you have to get to the pig's pen to find out that it's wrong. Mom and dad have guidelines in your life. It's because they love you. We see the rebellion of the son, the recklessness of the son, the realization of the son, the resolution of the son, and then the reception. Where are you at? Where are you at this morning? Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we pray. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to pay our sin debt. And you with open arms are calling. Those who are lost, they've never trusted in you as their Savior, you're calling them to come. Trust in you today to receive everlasting life. Lord, speak to our hearts today. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you, do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you been born again? A time and a place in your life when you accepted Him as your personal Savior, you know you're going to heaven. If that's your testimony, would you put your hand up high? Say, yes, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. God bless you. put your hands down? Perhaps you're here this morning, you don't have that peace. You don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you died this moment that you'd go to heaven. Now listen, I'm not asking if you're a religious person. I'm not asking if you're in church every time the doors are open. I'm asking, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Because you've been born again. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have that peace. You don't know for sure if you died this moment that you'd go to heaven. Listen, God is calling you right now. He wants you to come. Come to him for salvation. Perhaps you're here this morning you say, Preacher, I don't know if I died today that I'd go to heaven. Could I pray for you? I won't call you out. Would you just slip your hand up and say, I don't have that peace. I don't know if I died that I'd go to heaven. Anybody like that today? Christian? Where are you at in your walk? Where are you at in your relationship with the Lord? How's your relationship with your husband or wife? How's your relationship with mom or dad? Are you pushing back against the authority God's placed in your life? Would you just surrender to Him? It might be today that you need to come back to the Lord. You've found yourself in a backslidden state. You used to read the Bible. You used to pray. You used to trust the Lord. Now it seems like your life is just empty. No peace. No power. No strength miserable have you come to your senses yet is God speaking to your heart this morning young person is God speaking to your heart today I ask you will you come to the Lord this morning will you ask him for forgiveness Will you make a commitment? Say, Lord, I surrender my will to yours. And Lord, I will follow the leadership you placed in my life. Lord, I pray that you'd move in this invitation. Lord, speak to our hearts.